eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. No, I'm not doing that. I do this every time. It's a Helium Boys takeover. This is not the Parasol Podcast as you know it. It is me, Chris Trevino, and Shotgun Tre- I almost said Shotgun Trevino. No, Shotgun Spratling. I'm not even going to cut that because that is just brilliant as it is. Shotgun Spratling is in studio with me. He's back on the West Coast. Decided to come in here, do a Helium Boys takeover of the Parasol Podcast. Shotgun, I'm so glad to have you back on the west coast with me very briefly you know i'm in la for a couple days so i what do i do naturally i go straight from the airport to the studio um because chris Torino said hey let, the helium boys got to reunite and it, apparently you want me as a part of your family if you're you're bringing a shotgun Trevino. i'm just saying chris if you ever have a child it's a great uh you know unisex name shotgun boy you know, or I, I i fully believe that and i'm on board with that and i'm gonna store that in the back of my head but you did tell a little bit of a lie, Shotgun. You said you said you came straight to the studio. That's not true because your your trip to the West Coast has gotten off to a rocky start <laughs> with your favorite, one of your favorite restaurants being closed down. Can you explain that? Yeah, one of the spots around here, around the studio, is the, the Ocho Mexican Grill, which I think is better than uh, Chipotle and uh, any of the other um, fast, casual Mexican food spots that they have. So normally stop in there on the way into the studio and grab some food. Unfortunately, it just closed down, and I was a bit devastated. Chris found me weeping in the parking lot. Yeah, I've never seen Shotgun cry in my life, but <laughs> and I almost didn't know what to do. It was just uh, – it was it was devastating. Uh, to me, as this person that I look up to, to see him weeping in the streets of a parking lot in Redondo Beach. But we got him some Subway. He felt a little bit better. And now we're we're fueled up to tackle another episode of the Helium Boys podcast. We have some stuff to talk about, Shotgun. Uh, while you were in a plane flying over the country 
Lincoln Riley was giving us his first presser of spring camp and I guess of 2023, if you will. He spoke this morning to reporters, almost did half an hour mm-hmm. for his first session. So spring is underway. They are two practices in. They started on Sunday, held a practice this morning. We will actually be out there tomorrow, you and I, for spring practices. The first time we, as the media, can get any glimpse of uh, the Trojans out there for spring football. Shotgun, I'm excited. Are you excited to, to to be back out there, even though it is for just for one day? I know you have a lot of other stuff going on. Uh, why you're out here this week? Yeah, but it's, it's always fun to see the new faces, the new bodies. Uh, you know, want to see. You know, the first time seeing Romello Height last year was okay. That's that's different. That looks a lot different. Let's see. You know, I want to see what uh, Anthony Lucas looks like. I want to see what Mason Cobb looks like. I want to see what some of these new guys look like. And even though it's not in pads, you know, just see them move around, see the movement. Um, you know, I want to see Zach Branch in full pads because it's just different. He moves different. I had someone. Text me and tell me that I asked him, you know, uh, you know who's who's kind of the, been the most impressive newcomer, and I said Zach Branch without a doubt, and I, I said it's it's a little different, right? And he said yes, it just moves. He, he the way he moves said yeah, had a touchdown today where the ball completely turned around, still found a way to score. So you know he's a guy that is explosive. I'm looking forward to seeing him again. I haven't seen him in a, probably a year and a half now uh, since seeing him in the seven on seven circuit. So looking forward to seeing him. Looking forward to seeing Makai Lemon, Malachi Nelson. Look at seeing. See what Malachi Nelson looks like. You know, we got some news on him as well. Um, so you know, just the, seeing the newcomers is the biggest thing. And then also, do, does anyone look really different? You know, sometimes you you hear, oh, there's gains. Okay, there's five ten pounds. They don't look any different. Does anyone when you show up go, whoa, that doesn't? I don't remember him looking like that last year. Uh, you know, when you have a true three month, four month separation or three month separation, you know, you you really can see a difference. And sometimes we see those guys when they show up for pro day, uh, and we go, whoa, that looks completely different. So we'll see if there's any of the the current players that look that way when we see them tomorrow. Shotgun, little practice for you. You haven't seen me in a couple months. What are, what are we thinking? Chris, you're looking great. Doing, okay. doing great. That That's what no, I wanted to hear. No change at all. No change whatsoever. <laughs> I'm not putting in any work in the weight room like these guys <laughs> on the OC football team. But you mentioned Malachi Nelson, so I think that's a natural point to kind of get our first real talking point, and that is the five-star freshman is going to be doing some spring participation. Now, we didn't know really what it would look like. He did have that shoulder surgery on his non-throwing arm in late December. So we thought, you know, quarterback, shoulder surgery, even though it's not his throwing arm, you think maybe they'll be a little bit cautious. Maybe they'll hold him back for the most of spring. Maybe we'll get something in the end of it. But no, because there were there was some clips out for USC put out of their first spring practice. And there was some screen grabs of Malachi Nelson rocking the number eight jersey out there slinging the pill. And he has been cleared to do some throwing. I believe he just got cleared to do some throwing. Uh, Lincoln Riley said that Sunday was his first day throwing since the shoulder surgery. Compared it to like a golfer not golfing in like three months, not hitting any balls, and then having to go out there and play in a tournament. Called a unique situation, but... He saw the natural ability. He's made some mistakes. Obviously, we, 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 we were expecting that. He is a freshman quarterback learning a college system and all that. So Malachi Nelson is going to be doing spring. He's not going to be full contact. Quarterbacks aren't full contact anyway. So it's a perfect position uh, to, to not be to, – to come back from an injury so you don't have to get touched. And he's going to be doing some throwing. There have to be a little bit more cautious with him in some of the team period stuff. But 
valuable, valuable time in the spring for the early enrollees. And Malachi Nelson is going to get something out of spring. Yeah, definitely. I think it's huge for his development to be able to, you know, put in those reps and you know, be able to see defenses, whether it be seven on seven or even the one on one period, seeing getting that, you know, familiarity with the receivers. Uh, you know, just working on that because that progression builds over time. So all those opportunities are just extra bonuses for him. You know, we always talk about any early enrollee coming in. It's just those extra reps that you get, the the ability to adjust to the speed a little bit. Now he won't get the full speed of being out there and full the full go periods and you know seeing the linebackers you know diverting or blitzing all those type of things. So I, I I you know but he still gets to see all the reps you know that he can from and getting that true visual of seeing the defense in front of him and those type of things and running the offense and seeing where guys are going to be. So it's huge for his development in that regard. And I, I think it was it was pretty interesting when those that video came out. It was just like, whoa, what what is this guy doing out here? Where, where did he come from? I thought he was supposed to be out this entire time. But to see him out there, I think that's a, a big bonus for USC, especially because you figure – you're going to have a quarterback competition at the end of this year. And, you know, if Kayla Williams goes down, is there a quarterback competition going into it? Or is Miller Moss, can he lock it down? I thought with if Kayla, if Malachi Nelson wasn't going to practice in the spring, there was no way that he would, you know, be able to overtake Miller Moss this season. Now you say, okay, we'll see what he can do. And I think it just helps his development for when there is that quarterback competition after this year when you expect Kayla Williams goes off uh, to the NFL and becomes a top three pick. Yeah, I was going to ask. Interesting that you said top three. You didn't go ahead and do the the full number one. Well, the NFL draft <laughs> is so much so it's not just the best player. It's the best player at what position that team needs. So, you know, if a team needs a quarterback, hey, they, they might trade up for that number one pick. But if you really need that edge rusher or whatever, you, you'll stick at number one and take, you know, you'll take the, the Jalen Carter or you'll take the Will Anderson type of guy um, off the edge. That's fair. That's fair. But I don't think a lot of teams would – uh, shrink at the opportunity of drafting Caleb Williams. But interesting way you phrase that. I mean, that. if somehow the Kansas City Chiefs end up with a number one pick, they're not picking <laughs> Caleb Williams, okay? Maybe. Two Patrick Mahomes on the roster. <laughs> two? Two? You want two of them? But jumping back into it, I was just going to ask you about that with the uh, Malachi Nelson and the whole backup quarterback battle. Do you think this does change stuff? And like you said, it, it does a little bit because – you know, we where our assumption was that Malachi Nelson wasn't going to get, if anything at all, from spring camp. So Miller Moss had a pretty good lock on the number two job. You know, with Jake Jensen there, you know, maybe pushing a little bit more this season. But Miller Moss in that whole situation is really interesting because he is going to graduate really soon, and obviously the portal is there, staring kids in the face after spring camp and spring practices and all that are done. So he will have an interesting decision to make moving forward and just the addition of a five-star guy like Malachi Nelson also makes that question a little bit more interesting. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he does after spring camp, but I still feel like he'll have a firm lock on that number two job, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that, you know, he wouldn't want to uh, take a look around is what I'm saying. Yeah, because there won't be necessarily a lock that he will have the number two spots when the competition opens up, and that's the big question. But for you, it's a good sa- for USC. It's a good safety net for Malachi Nelson to get those extra reps in case 
Miller Moss does decide to enter the transfer portal, look for somewhere else to get playing time immediately this season um, after he graduates. So, you know, I, I think that that's the, the big bonus for USC is like, okay, we get him and it, it's development. It's just development. You want your guys to develop. The more they can develop, the better. And that, that breeds more competition, even better for USC because you want to have the best player playing. And I think we can now transition to a little bit, uh, not a little bit, a lot of bit on the other side of the ball. The first question that Lincoln Riley got for today's presser. Shotgun, what do you think it was about? Um, Kickoff duties? Not quite. You're close. Oh, probably You're close. the defense. Probably, probably. defense. It definitely <laughs> the defense. The first question came out about, you know, Lincoln Riley talked about in our off-season media sit down with him about how he's going to be able to get his hands on the defense a little bit more. You know, when they first got in here, there were so many things to worry about being a new head coach at a new place, getting all the systems and culture and all that in place. Now he can step back a little bit and kind of focus more on the minutia of things he wasn't able to really hit on that first spring camp. And one of those things is obviously going to be the defense. He said he's going to be more involved in the defense to take a look at it, have come up with plans for this defense. That was kind of the big talking point is that there is a, quote, defensive plan in place for the whole defense and and going deeper into that individually for guys. And that's, you know, development plans, you know, them, their roles in the schemes. It sounds like there's a whole detailed roadmap for the defense for this season, whether it's a lar- a long-term scheme issue, a scheme, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, long-term scheme plan that's not what i wanted to say but (laughs) or just lining up guys individually and saying this is what you need to do this is what we need to see more out of you in the scheme and you know he talked about guys developing in the weight room more you know maybe it's just a guy who's put in more effort in the weight room guy who's put on more size a guy who maybe was a young guy last year is now growing into his body you know going from you know redshirt sophomore to Redshirt junior, redshirt freshman, two redshirt sophomore. So you're seeing kind of that natural progression. And then just with the guys that they brought in to this this defensive room, whether, you know, Anthony Lucas, Mason Cobb, uh, Kyron Bars, guys like that, that are really upgrading the defense across the board. So there are a lot of factors they're looking at that they hope will lead to a much better defense in 2023. Yeah, definitely. And obviously the defense has to get better. You know, it just wasn't acceptable what they did last year. And it starts with the individual. It starts with, hey, you've got to tackle better. Hey, you've got to get stronger. Hey, you've got to do this. But then it's, you know, the the defensive scheme plan, as you called it, is, okay, can we get all the right guys in that we need? Can we get, you know, where do we need to upgrade on, on this defense? Where do we attack as a recruiting staff? Those type things. So those portions has USC upgraded on you think hey they brought in more linebacker help you got Tackett Curtis you got Mason Cobb uh, what's the linebacker group going to look like what's the defensive line group going to look like do we move guys around I think you saw that uh, when they put out the prospectus is we've seen a couple guys move from rush in to defensive line or from defensive line to rush in so trying to find the right spots for everybody so those are a lot of things that are in the works but you gotta. It, it's gonna be what we see on the field happening. They can tell us that you know oh, it looks so much better. But if you're still giving up 35 points at the end of the season to teams repeatedly, then it doesn't matter what you did during the off season. So, but the off season is where it all starts. So they, they've got to take those strides. They got to take it small, step by step. And then you know, as a coaching staff, you're looking at that overall, the overall portion of it. But you also have to 
point out to each individual player, this is where we need you to get better. You have to get better at this and this and this. And if each individual player gets better, then your entire defense is going to get better. Big part of the scheme plan, indeed. Trademark on that <laughs> phrase. Shotgun, just throwing a little curveball question at you. You could talk to any player on the defensive side of the ball right now, 20 minutes sit-down interview. Who are you picking? <sighs> Anyone. He's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. I don't know, uh, <laughs> you know, the how good of talkers some of the the newcomers are, but I think Mason Cobb is probably the most interesting one. Um, now, if you you could want to say you want a returner because then they could give you a look into how it looked last year versus how it looks right now. But I think Mason Cobb is just you know he's the guy in the middle that's the big question mark for me. You know, you have Eric Gentry, you have Shane Lee, you got Rayshon Davis, you got Tackett Curtis. You know, so the inside linebacker group is looks like it's stacked right now. So the the competition should be really good. Now the question to me is, okay, what did they promise Mason Cobb? What did they tell Mason Cobb we want you to do? You know, those are the questions I'd be having. How does it compare so far as first couple weeks to Oklahoma State? Like these are all the questions that I would be asking. So I think Mason Cobb would be one of the guys. Uh, you know, and he's from the West Footprint. He's from Utah. So you know, what was his interpretation or his uh, you know his read on USC coming out of high school? How is it different now? There's a lot of different angles I think you could go with Mason Cobb. So I think that's the guy I would go. With. I think that's a good pick. I'm not going to go into detail answered about my pick, but I think I would pick Anthony Lucas just for a lot of, and I would bring a scale with me <laughs> just because I really want to know. And not, like a good scale too, like a legit one, one that's like not the analog. doctor's office. Yeah, that's like has the, the actual metal <laughs> thing where you, it moves like that. I want one of those scales, not those stupid digital ones. No, we need a real scale for this big boy. But I, I think it would be interesting to talk to him and, you know, is the plan for him to bulk up? Is the plan for him to stay on the edge? Is where's you know where does he think his best spot is? Where does what does he want to do? What do the coaches tell him? So I think there is a lot of interesting things there with him as well. Okay, let's say transfers aren't eligible for the sit down. Transfers aren't eligible. Um, you know Shane Lee's always a good conversation, um, and you know he tells it like it is pretty pretty well, and he's a guy that he's in a competition you decide to come back for another year he could have left and gone somewhere else uh you, you know and finished up his his eligibility elsewhere what does he think so and i'm, I'm guessing you would say eric gentry just because that's your boy i mean that is my boy <laughs> it's it's my boy that i didn't realize was my boy until like he would you know be friendly with me on the sidelines and i guess yeah he's my boy now so yeah i think east coast guy philadelphia from kind of where your neck of the woods is right now yeah. so yeah, we have a lot of uh Yeah, I still need to get some more food wrecks from him on uh, yeah. where to eat in Philly. But the other one I think would be Corey Foreman. You know, he's always mm. a super insightful conversation. Uh, you know, he tells you things that you just kind of like, whoa, I didn't expect him to be thinking that type of thing. Um, but, you know, what's his plan? What You know, people are looking at the, the – he's listed at a lighter weight this year. What's the plan with that? Why is he dropping weight? Is there a concern there? Uh, what does he want to be at? Now he's playing the – on. he's moving the defensive line versus rushing. Is, is his hand going to be on the ground all the time? Those type of things. So another guy that I would really want to talk to too. We literally just talked about him, our, our boy, my boy respectively, Eric Gentry. I think we can just play into that with the update that Lincoln Riley gave also about Eric Gentry as we reported – Eric Gentry is undergoing ankle surgery for that uh, ankle injury that he suffered uh, in the Utah game and, you know, kept him out for several weeks and was able to come back, but just didn't look 100%. They said the plan was to maybe 
avoid surgery, you know, give it just time to rest. But it became apparent that it was still bothering him, still giving him a lot of pain, wasn't able to be fully involved with those winter winter offseason workouts because of the ankle issues. So they decided, you know, let's go ahead, take care of this now. It's a good thing that it happened at this point, you know, and not, you know, during the season where he would miss several months. But he said it's not a super major kind of surgery, but it is surgery nonetheless. And he is expected to be back fairly quickly. And he expects him to be cleared for summer workouts going to the summer. And that would put him on track to be back in time for fall camp and ready to go. Also did note that he has put on good weight. Those were his words. So he's very happy with the with the amount of weight that maybe not very happy, but he is happy with the progress that Eric Gentry has made in terms of gaining weight because that's a big thing for him. Now, in the roster, it says he's only gained five pounds compared to last season's roster. So maybe good weight means something different to to, to Lincoln Riley, or maybe that's not an accurate weight. Maybe he's closer to 210 or 215. I don't know, but we'll get a better idea when we get to actually see him up close. But that is a good update in terms of, you know, Gentry will be back for the start of the season, will be back for the summer, and is on track to be fully healthy now that he's gotten this ankle taken care of. And let's first go with the weights. Um, you know, weights on rosters are a general idea. Just consider them a general idea <laughs> rather than something specific. Uh, not necessarily a suggestion, but like, ah, they're kind of in this range is where you should see them. Because one, a player can lose 12 pounds in a practice, you know, maybe not that much, but you know, six to eight pounds is not unheard of losing, you know, just from sweating and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, most programs you get weighed before you go out to practice, you get weighed after you go to practice. At least that used to be the the case. I don't know if that's still the case now that they have all the GPS trackers and everything else, but that was just a way to, uh, for programs to identify, Hey, is this guy in any danger of dehydration or anything like that? To, uh, do we need to get him IVs? Those type of things. So, you know, you get weighed and, hey, uh, the big guys may lose six, eight pounds in a, in a practice. So that's why you got to go load up on all the carbs and everything else after afterwards. But also players at the beginning of the season may look or weigh completely different than they do at the end of the season. You know, you, you start out at a certain weight and you slowly kind of decrease as the season goes along. So, you know, when are you counting the weight? Is it their summer weight? Is it their spring weight? Is it their fall weight? Uh, you know, th these could all be different weights uh, for a player, especially uh, a young player that is growing into their body, players that are still maturing and, you know, hitting growth spurts and stuff. You still see that in college. So, you know, th those things are all, it's kind of a general idea on the weight. So the, the positive is, are you adding to the frame? You know, are you adding strength to the frame? Are you getting stronger? And hopefully that includes adding some, you know, pounds because especially someone like Eric Gentry with the, the frame that he has, the slender frame at that 6'6", six, six, you know, at, he's going to take a bunch of punishment as the season goes along playing inside linebacker. And that's when you want that extra weight, the extra uh, mass there to be able to help absorb some of that contact as well, to keep him a little bit healthier as the season progresses. So th there's a lot of things that go into the weight, but to hear Lincoln Riley say it, he was, you know, he was happy about where Eric Gentry is at. And I think that's a positive for the fact that there's certain lifts he's not going to be able to do at all because of this ankle. And if they were actually resting it, that means he wasn't doing them throughout the beginning of the, the offseason either. So, you know, they basically said, you know, he was trying to rest it. It didn't, it wasn't healing quick enough. So they went to the surgery route. So that means he, he's going to basically, I, I don't know how long the recovery is on his specific surgery, but he's going to have four to five months at least where from the end of the season or even, you know, six to eight months from when he first got injured. 
of where there were certain things he just wasn't able to do in the weight room to, to be able to add mass to whether it be squats or whatever it may be that they don't want him on that ankle for. So, you know, there's going to be certain things, and that's that's when you need someone like Benny Wiley to devise a plan. Okay, how can we still strengthen him in other ways? How can we, okay, we got to work on the core work, we got to do all these other things that he can do even with a bum foot. So uh, those are the things that, that you want to see, and the fact that Lincoln Riley thinks that he is making positive strides, I think that's a, a, a good note to hear from Lincoln Riley. Um, and you know it, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in that mix because this will be the second spring in a row that he's missed, uh, or you know at least with USC that he hasn't had a spring camp at USC since he came in the summer last year. So he just hasn't had a ton of time on the field outside of, hey, here's fall camp. Hey, you're the starter. Here we go. And then halfway through the season he gets injured. So you know he's basically had a half season in this system. So you would like to see him get more and more reps just so he can be, you know, better on his reads, better on everything else. And then you want to add the mass and do all those other things so he can be better with tackling and those and whatnot. I just want to go on record now that I am willing to give up fifteen pounds to Eric Gentry. If <laughs> if he wants those fifteen pounds, I'm willing to make that that offer to him. I'll I'll give up twenty, you know. I don't need him. Now so now fifteen to twenty, so we're giving him thirty five pounds. So we're gonna make him two hundred thirty-five, no, two hundred forty pounds. I'm okay with it. Uh, I, I think he, I think the frame could hold. I think he'll be better off if we give him those thirty-five. Pounds. Though I don't know if my twenty pounds would be a very good weight. Yeah, it's like when when <laughs> when someone when their favorite athlete gets injured and like they injure their ACL, they're like, "Take my ACL." Yeah, <laughs> you're out of shape, uh, doing nothing ACL into this high-level athlete. That's the right combination. He'd be better off playing with no ACL. Than your crappy forty-nine-year-old ACL. So I love making that joke on Twitter. But we we're talking about you know Eric Gentry getting bigger and taking on some of the helium boys' weight. But let's move on to a position group that Lincoln Riley highlighted as getting bigger in general, and that is the secondary, which I thought was a very interesting comment to make. He talked about how he they're seeing more strength and gains within that defensive backfield, and that's an interesting thing to say because. You know, Caleb, Kalen Bullock, they're, they're returning All-American as someone that has been talked about gaining weight since he got here. And he put on some good weight last year. L- looks like he's put on some more. You know, we're, we're talking we were talking about the weights in the roster, but per the roster, he's put on 10 more pounds. Uh, Latrell McCutcheon was another guy that he he highlighted as gaining more size. And Jacoby Covington, he actually mentioned him in that that statement as well and also gave him some additional praise as he had a really, really good winter offseason. And he's made a lot of big strides since the end of last season when he really started to come on and push Sierra right and kind of to that that other starting cornerback rotation. And I feel vindicated because I said, look out for Jacoby Cummington in the spring camp. He's someone I really, really like going into this camp. So I'm excited to see what Jacoby brings to the to the to the secondary, going to that another season with some more confidence under his belt. And then Zion Branch is someone who, per the roster, has put on 10 more pounds. So it looks like they're gaining mass they're gaining size out there in the backfield yeah it it was interesting that Lincoln Riley kind of mentioned everybody so it more important than who he mentioned was what he mentioned about them um, because sometimes a coach you know he mentions two guys and you're like okay those are the guys that are really standing out or those are the guys that really need work one, one way or the other but when you mention kind of everybody, you kind of go through the roster the way he did, then uh, it, it feels more like, you know, what do we take away from what he said about each of them? And Jacoby Covington, what he said about him stood out for sure, said that he continues to make strides, continues to just 
just take huge strides and build the momentum that he had during the season. Uh, said he had a phenomenal offseason. So that really stood out to me. Um, and then uh, also Kalen Bullock. You know, everyone wants to see him add some weight. He continues to add weight each offseason. People still complain about it. Come on, guys. These kids are 19 years old. He, did you see what his frame was when he came in? He was like 145 pounds, 150 pounds, maybe a little bit more than that. But he was. Think was, about your metabolism at 19. Yeah. Think about <laughs> what he was as a, you know, four years ago as a 16 year old when he was 130 pounds. And, you know, he's been adding weight every single year. So he's doing what he can there. Um, and, you know, people complain, well, he needs to add weight. What well, he is, he's adding it as he goes. So, um, you know, but he's a playmaker. But you want to see him gain that weight so that he can, again, take on those collisions so you don't see him get banged up during the season. I mean, I remember the biggest example for me is Isaiah Polamau shows up on campus similar to Kalen Bullock as far as frame, 6'4", probably 175, 80 pounds when he showed up on campus. And his first or second scrimmage as a, as a Trojan, he took on Ronald Jones, third-year Ronald Jones, uh, shoulder to shoulder, and he was done for the year because Ronald Jones separated his shoulder, and we didn't see IPM the rest of the season, and that became a you know a consistent issue for him. So you want to see those those smaller, those slimmer secondary guys add that weight to their frame so that they can take the abuse of being able to go make a tackle and take on a bigger running back or a tight end, and not be afraid of that tackle because that's one thing that you know if you're a slight frame, you, you take one big hit. Suddenly, you don't want to hit as much anymore. So, if you can be the one to deliver the thump rather than taking the thump, you, know, you feel a lot more comfortable going and delivering a hit. So, you know, you want to see those guys do that. So, that's a positive there for the defensive backfield. That you know, he's talked about the entire group is adding some weight and getting a little stronger too. And he also mentioned Damani Jackson because I know people are thinking, "What about Damani Jackson? What about Damani Jackson?" He did mention Damani Jackson after the initial group as someone who you know has been staying healthy early here in spring camp, and that's kind of the big thing. For Damani Jackson, injuries and time away off the field really limited his development in 2022. You know, he wasn't able to stay on the field as much and didn't get a lot of playing time from it. You know, he had there was talks about him having really, really good Cotton Bowl practices and stuff, but we didn't actually see him a lot in the Cotton Bowl. I'm sure Shotgun has the exact number off the top of his head waiting to go. But Damani Big spring camp for him. Did not participate in spring camp last year outside of doing rehab. And he did a little bit of, of, of drills by the end of camp. But you could tell he was not in football shape. He was getting winded a lot. You know, Remember, he hadn't played his senior year due to a knee injury. So he's still kind of getting back into the flow of things in terms of getting back into football shape. So big spring camp for him. And staying healthy, that's the number one priority for Damani Jackson. Damani Jackson played six defensive snaps in the, the he said Cotton six? Bowl. Six. Six. Seven one? total snaps, six defensive snaps. So very limited. But yeah, Damani Jackson, the, the health is the biggest thing. Um, Lincoln Riley didn't mention, but I think that he's actually being used as a model in uh, multiple art uh, sculpture classes uh, across campus there because he just got that Adonis body. Uh, you know, he's, he's exactly what you would draw up uh, for, you know, uh, for multiple defensive back defenders. Um, but the fact that he can run like he can, the fact that he can turn his hips, you know, he's elite cornerback potential. But yeah. if you're never healthy, you can't get to that potential. So that's the biggest thing. You got to be healthy so that you can be able to practice and get better and get better and get better and then get on the field and make some plays. So that's the big thing for him. So we're looking forward to seeing, you know, a spring ball will be good for him because remember last year, you know, he was still banged up and didn't get to do anything. So spring ball is a big time for that development, especially, you know, we talk about that jump from 
your first year to your second year, spring ball can be the big springboard for that. One, you now you you know the speed, you know, especially if you've gotten a little bit of playing time, you got out there, okay, these guys are bigger, they're stronger, they're faster than everybody in high school, uh, even the Trinity League, a little bit bigger, faster, and stronger than those guys too. Uh, but then you get to spring ball, okay, I've seen what I need to work on a little bit. I've worked on stuff for the offseason. The guys that are really into it, you know, and really are, you know, intent on getting better. They've got a, their own individual plan they've been working on, so then spring ball becomes that springboard for them to jump forward, and then the second season, that's when we see them kind of make a big jump. As they say, Shotgun, you can't make the club in the top. There you go. That's why you're healing boys. That's why we're healing boys. Finishing my sentences, let's move on to two position groups that maybe will have a lot more room in their respective tubs for spring football. That is Wide receiver and offensive line, Lincoln Riley did mention that they're a little bit thin at both of those positions. Offensive line, yes, that makes sense. When you look at the roster and I was building out the depth chart, you're thinking they really wish a lot more of those freshmen had enrolled early. They do not have Ethan White. He is still finishing up some classes. So he is not here, the the other Florida transfer. He is not on campus yet. That will be in the summer. And the rest of their offensive line, their freshman offensive line class will be in the summer outside of Elijah Page. So they have some guys coming in, but they're going to have to skate by on the spring with some very limited depth. And the same goes for wide receiver. I mean, they've had some guys, a lot of wide receivers actually depart. You know, Gary Bryant, uh, Kyle Ford, Terrell Bynum graduated, uh, Josh Jackson, uh, excuse me, John Jackson opted to go into the portal. I do not know if that means he's going to be sticking around and still doing spring practice. I know he'll be around campus, but I'm not sure if that means he's going to actually just participate. But CJ Williams as well out of the Parchers out of the wide receiver room. So they've had some losses there personnel wise. Still a very stacked unit, but they're going to be there's going to be a plenty of reps up for grabs with that room. And another one, even though it doesn't really matter, but Austin O'Vern, the walk-on wide receiver, is even over at baseball. So just your, your numbers just in general are, are slim there. Um, I believe Dorian Singer is on campus, so that's a, a positive there to get him in the mix. But you, you, you're kind of, you know, Makai Lemon here, those guys are getting up to speed, so it's going to take a little bit of time there. So you, you the, the wide receivers are going to be explosive and dynamic, but not necessarily a ton of bodies to, to begin with. And that could be a concern as the season goes along, too, because it's just not a very deep room right now as far as numbers. Now, it is deep talent-wise, but numbers is, you know, they got several, those several departures have definitely had an impact. See, uh, Jacoby Lane will come in in the, in the fall, um, so that'll add one there. And maybe they, you know, depending on what they look like in the spring, they may decide to go out and try to poach another guy from the transfer portal or not. We'll see how that kind of goes as well. And then a big body like Deuce Robinson would also help those numbers, even though you know he's kind of in between a tight end and a wide receiver. Definitely, but, but you can split him out, uh, you know, and use him as an inside receiver if you want to. Use him as a Drake London role if you really want to. And then the way that they are now kind of shifting the tight end position, kind of two different tight end positions. There's the H back with. Kate Eldridge and you know moving Carson Tabarachi over um, and then having you know the big body you know instead of having the the smaller guys like those two that you can put in the backfield and do some different things with you also have your traditional six four six six guys like Lake McCree and potentially Deuce Robinson so you know that adds a different element as well it's kind of an extra position that can be included as the receivers you know pass catchers for those big tight ends as well. 
Shotgun, is there anything else you would like to talk about about Lincoln Riley's opening presser? I know you listened to it before we kind of take a break and jump into some hoops, maybe a little baseball, maybe some questions. I think I think we're pretty good on what he said. I mean, he, he mentioned a lot of guys today. You know, one guy he didn't really mention, Caleb Williams. Outside of when he was specifically asked about Caleb Williams, yeah, but he wasn't brought up. Uh, you know, he did talk a little bit about Relique Brown and a couple other guys, but um, you know, Caleb Williams is, is going to be the dude. I'm curious to see what big strides he's taken. Remember, he's still a young kid, so he's only going to be better than he was last year. Uh, if they can protect him and, you know, he has weapons around him, expect another big season. So I'm curious to see uh, what he's been working on this offseason, too. I think he's just uh, pacing himself, uh, Shotgun. I think he's just pacing himself because he knows every time there's a TV camera at practice, they're going to ask about Caleb Williams. What's it like having a Heisman winner out there? <laughs> Every every national media that comes to practice is going to ask about Caleb Williams. Every non-USC beat writer who comes for just two practices out of the, the camp, they're going to ask about Caleb Williams. So I think he's just pacing himself. True. And he has been asked, you know, kind of what's it going to be like coaching a Heisman Trophy winner because he hasn't done that. <laughs> he hasn't coached the, the winner per se. He's coached the guy to a Heisman Trophy, but each of the uh, previous Heisman Trophies he's won, uh, they have departed for the NFL. Caleb Williams will be back for a second year, so we'll see what development and growth and what maybe different things that Lincoln Riley can do this year with Caleb Williams that he wasn't able to do last year because of either just the transition to USC and getting everyone on the same page otherwise, or just areas where Caleb Williams takes a big step in growth and suddenly you can do a little bit more with him. I think one of the final things we do want to wrap up with this first half of the show before we go into his bre- to our break is just the NFL Combine that was over uh, the course of last week. USC had five guys attend the Combine. Not everyone participated. Travis Dye did not partake in, in drills of that nature. Makai Blackman had a really, really good showing, you know, ran a ran a good 4-4 time. I think that's a lot faster than any of us expected him to run. So he really helped his draft stock there. Jordan Addison, you know, 4-4-9, 4-5-5 with that first run. I think that was a little bit slower than people were anticipating. It's certainly slower than I thought. But I think also that tells me that he's actually just football fast. He's faster on the field than as opposed to, you know, these underwear Olympic kind of deals. But he did really well in the gauntlet. I think he's still locked in for a first round pick to his name uh i believe daniel jeremiah still has him as you know the number one his number one receiver in this draft but the the other like big thing about that is obviously with andrew Voorhees, just a terrible uh accident not accident but situation that happened where he was injured doing uh on field work uh doing the on-field drills uh for the position group you know reports are that as a torn acl which is just Terrible, just a terrible thing for for a guy who put a lot into USC and didn't have to come back from last season, but did. And, you know, was banged up at the end of the year. And Lincoln Riley even tweeted that he could have shut it down in the second half of the season, but he didn't. And he was a warrior all season. And just to have that happen is just so sad. And just for someone we've covered a lot for the last six years and for him to still go out and still set the combine best bench press at 38 reps, beat out all the offensive linemen, beat out the entire combine with a torn ACL. There's a clip of it on social media. You can look that up of him with his, you know, his leg ba- uh, braced up and such. And yeah, that just says a lot about who Andrew Voorhees is. And it's just a terrible thing for that to have happened to him. He's such a, a great kid, but 
that that's kind of what the finding moment of the combine will be for USC, just having Andrew Voorhees, who was going to be a top 100 prospect, uh, go through that uh, in, Indiana- in Indianapolis. Yeah, I think it's the defining moment because of it could it was going to be the defining moment either way that injury, but then it becomes the defining moment what he did afterwards because I mean you have even like JJ Watts tweeting about him today saying what a move you know it would have been so easy for him to feel sorry for himself packing in to head home because everyone knows Andrew Voorhees is strong. What does it matter? You know he could have waited till pro day to do the bench press as well. Could let his leg heal up a little bit, um, but no, he, the same day that he tears his ACL and these drills. He comes back and reps out 38, 39, one of them didn't count. Um, but it, it was impressive for him to do that and him to walk up on crutches to tell, say his name into the mic and then go and do that. Um, you know, And obviously your ACL is not a big part of your bench press, but it's still impressive that he could do that because of the mindset that it takes, You know, the mentality uh, to be able to put behind an injury and then go forward and, and you know continue to to try to to make strides and impress some NFL personnel and I think that what he did I think that's a big boost for some NFL teams they'll look at that and see the the character of it and say we can wait around for this guy we can wait around a couple months for him to heal up and you know assuming he gets healthy um then you know hopefully he'll be able to to make a team and be able to put it all behind him and go forward but it was just devastating to see him go down like that you know especially you know a guy that's put so much into his USC career um and the ups and downs that came with his career of being a freshman starter being thrown in the mix and fans hating him um why we got this three-star guy in there all this type stuff to him becoming just the stalwart and all-american two years in a row for USC um was, was impressive career path for him and for something like this to happen at the very end is is, is very disappointing and devastating to, to see that to a kid like you said that we've covered for six years now but great to see him you basically get right back up on the horse and say i'm not gonna let this bother me i'm still gonna try to try to impress these nfl personnel and the, the nfl teams and i think he probably did with that move so great to see him be able to rep that out we knew it was going to put up some big numbers in the bench press. We knew that going in, but we didn't think that it would necessarily be after an injury and for, for him to, to go through it and do that uh, was pretty impressive. So wishing him all the best moving forward and all the guys that participated in the draft. Hope to hear Real quick name. on a couple of the other guys, um, Makai Blackman, like you said, had a great combine. Unfortunately, a lot of cornerbacks looked really good at the combine. So this is a very deep class. So he might end up getting drafted a couple rounds lower than where we might expect or where he might have been if he was in last year's draft or in next year's draft. But that's just because of how deep this cornerback class is, I think. And so I think you're going to see some cornerbacks come out of this class in later rounds that are going to end up being you know multi-year starters, all-pro type of guys potentially. Um, and then Jordan Addison, the big question will be if, if he's still wide receiver one. You know, I still I don't know that. And another question with that is, if he's not wide receiver one, how many wide receivers are taken in the first round? Now, last year you saw that big run on wide receivers, starting with Drake London through kind of the the teens. Um, but you know, do teams value the wide receivers in this class as much? And if not, then you know, how many guys get taken in the first round? Does he slide to the second round and become another one of the? eventually become one of the another second round greats from USC like Juju and Robert Woods and all those guys have been that didn't get taken in the first round but still had really successful careers. And with that, I think we'll take our break for the first half of the show. When we come back, we're going to get 
the world's greatest USC basketball writer to talk a little bit about Trojan hoops, Pac-12 tournament, NCAA tournament, all that good stuff. Shotgun, we'll be right back after this break. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back. Shotgun, you are not just here for spring football as you alluded to at the top of this show you're also here to cover a little bit of baseball as always but also you're here for usc basketball going to las vegas with the boss man himself ryan abraham to cover the pac-12 tournament your final pac-12 tournament because there'll be no more pac-12 tournament after this they'll have a pac-12 tournament next year well they won't (laughs) be in it is what i'm saying yes they will wait what why (laughs) The, the the turnover doesn't happen until next summer, so you still have a little bit over a year before USC and UCLA move to the Big Ten. Big uh, Ten. So one more season for all sports. You're right. You think they're just going to have football season and be like, and all right, it, Christmas and break. Ends. <laughs> that yeah. would be that would be really interesting for basketball because then uh, you'd be you know with the Pac-12, you've had uh, games in November and you had a couple of games before the New Year that have been conference games. So you play two conference games in the Pac-12, and then you move to the Big Ten in the middle of the season? Is that what we're saying, Chris? Here's the thing. <laughs> that makes me look like a really big idiot, but I'm not cutting it because I don't really care. <laughs> I uh, had a little bit of a, a brain lapse there, but that's okay. Shotgun, your second-to-last Pac-12 tournament. What can you tell me about the Trojans going into Vegas so USC goes in as the number three seed. They're the only team in the last to, to be a top three seed the last four seasons. USC finished tied for second with Arizona. Arizona has the head-to-head tiebreaker there. Um, but again, second place in the Pac-12. That's impressive for USC. Still searching for that first uh, conference title, though, in you know 30-plus years now. So we'll see if that maybe happens next year when you get Isaiah Collier, you get uh, Silas Dimery. We'll see who comes back for USC could even potentially entice 
Boogie Ellis to come back, even though Boogie Ellis said that, no, this is his final year at USC. But he does have a year of eligibility, so USC fans will be ecstatic to see that happen because he is playing out of his mind right now, out of his gourd, out of his melon. He has been unreal, Chris. And he won more out of his something. Off the rip, off the muscle, off the chain, he has been out of this universe. Okay. Um, he's, he's been fantastic for USC. His last six games, he's averaging 25.3 points per game. Five of those games, he's gone for over 20 points. I think he went for like 16 in the other one. Two of those, he went for 30-plus. He's the first USC player since OJ Mayo to have at least three um, 30-point games in a season. He fell two points short of becoming one of eight players in USC history to have four or more 30-point games in the last game. So we'll see if he gets to that, if he joins that club with a 30-point performance either in Vegas or potentially the NCAA tournament. So USC's going in the tournament. Probably to feel comfortable, they need one more win. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, They're going to play the winner of the number 6 versus number 11 matchup, which is Arizona State, who they just played and who they always play to basically a one- or two-possession game with a minute to go, whether one team gets up by 20 or not, doesn't matter. It'll eventually come down to a, a, a couple of possessions at the very end of the game. That has happened both times this year. USC's had a big lead, and Arizona State has made a drastic uh, you know, run at the end of the game, and USC's held them off. So USC, Arizona State could get their chance again. They have to play Oregon State in the first game. They should win that matchup. Oregon State is very bad, though USC lost to Oregon State earlier this year, so... You know, USC would like some redemption there, I'm sure, as well. But either way, to get into solidify themselves in the NCAA tournament, USC would like to get at least one more win. They should be in the tournament right now, but one more win makes sure that they're not in the first four game. So then you have an extra game, obviously, to try to make an NCAA tournament run. Uh, so that's a, that's the big thing for them going into Vegas. And then after that, it's it's kind of gravy. They'll play potentially, if they win their first game, they play Arizona in the second game. They do not match up well with Arizona. It's just not just the way the team is constructed does not match up well with Arizona. But if they are healthy, they could beat Arizona. They just got to shoot well from the outside. And if Arizona, it's it's basically whoever shoots the best from outside. Even though the big men from Arizona dominate down low, it's, you know, if USC can double and they don't shoot well outside, then suddenly, you know, USC can win that game. The difference has been Courtney Ramey has been on fire against USC the the two times that they played so far this season, and then you know if, if they were to get it by Arizona, you're likely going to face UCLA again, and you know USC fans would you know cherish the opportunity to beat UCLA for a Pac-12 championship, and USC is you know it's been a great matchup between those two teams this season. UCLA has got ahead by double digits by halftime in both those games, and USC has stormed back to take the lead. At Pauley Pavilion, UCLA hit a shot with 15 seconds left to go ahead and won that game. USC was able to hold on at Galen Center. So it's been really thrilling games, and hopefully it'll be a thrilling you know one to finish off the, the Pac-12 tournament and potentially get USC their first Pac-12 championship, uh, tournament championship since 2009 when DeMar DeRozan was the uh, MVP. I was still in high school. Long time ago, yeah. USC. I don't know if you know this or not, but they haven't been good at basketball in their history. You know, as far as winning the Pac-12, because there's that UCLA team and that Arizona team that have always been in their way. So that that would be the path that they would have to take this again this year is to get through both of those programs to be able to get that first one since 2009. So we'll see if they can do that. I don't have a lot of faith that they will be able to go in there and play three games uh, in three days and be able to win against those two teams in particular because that the matchup against Arizona is not great and also because USC is a little banged up right now and that's a bigger concern for them going forward. When they've been healthy, when they've had a full roster, 
They're I think they're either seven and one or eight and one. However, you know they missed Vinci Wachukwu, the freshman, missed half a season after the heart attack and having the the you know the the pacemaker thing put into his uh, chest, uh, the surgery he had there, and then. You have Joshua Morgan and Reese Dixon Waters go down, and suddenly USC loses at Oregon, loses at Oregon State. But when they've been healthy, they've been really good. But this past weekend, USC did not have Vincent Wichuku for the final game of the regular season because of a back issue. And Drew Peterson has been, you know, dealing with a back issue the last two games as well. That's really hobbled him. He's not played to his normal um, normal strengths. He's not played to his normal ability. And you know, he's such a difference maker. A lot of fans. He he's very. Uh, there's a lot of antagonism on the message boards about Drew Peterson. People go back and forth on whether he's a great player, a good player, or not a good player at all. But the thing is, he is good enough that every single team schemes to try to stop him. So that tells me he's a pretty damn, pretty damn good player, um, and he's a unique player because of his length, his size, uh, and his ability to shoot as well. So you know they need him to be healthy because he just creates mismatches against opposing teams. He can back down smaller guards. Teams have to bring double teams that leaves wide open shooters, and he's been doing a really good job recently of finding those cross court passes for open shooters and stuff like that. So that's the Pac-12 tournament. How USC does determine will determine. Their seeding in the NCAA tournament, which we think they should get into regardless, unless they lose. If they play Oregon State again and lose to them, then maybe we're 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 looking at a potential of USC getting left out. But as long as that doesn't happen, I think they'll make the NCAA tournament. Now the question becomes your seeding. You know, USC if they lose their their first game in the Pac-12 tournament, they could be in that first four and have to go to Dayton and then try to go somewhere else. They can move up to a, even an eight or nine potentially eight nine game, um, which do you want to move up? That then becomes a question because you have to potentially face the number one seed in, in your bracket after that. But right now they're sitting in most bracketology uh, experts have them around the number 10 spot. Uh, so playing a seven, a very winnable game, and then potentially playing a number two. Very, same spot they were in last year where they, they were the seven seed. They played Miami. They almost beat Miami on a half-court heave by Drew Peterson. If they would have done that, they played Auburn. Miami does beat Auburn, ends up going to the Sweet 16. USC could have easily beat Auburn as well. So, you know, we'll see what happens with it. This is the time of year where crazy things happen. And uh, we've seen that in the last couple weeks with a lot of college basketball games, everything from that Arizona State past half-court buzzer beater for the win to beat Arizona. So you never know. But then also today, Chris, while I was in, while I was in the air, the All-Pac-12 – team was announced with Drew Peterson and Boogie Ellis both making it. It is the second year in a row that USC has had two first team members. It's a 10 team, 10 player team. So there's a little more, more leeway there to be able to get onto it, but that's been the case forever for the PAC 12. And in 2018, Andy Enfield had Jordan McLaughlin, Chimezi Metu. Why is that important? Because the last time before that, or USC had done it one time, had two first-team members since Harold Miner in the early 90s. So since Chris was a baby, USC had had two first-team members one other time. That was Nick Young and Gabe Pruitt in 2006. So they just it, it's in the, uh, quite an accomplishment that in the last six years, USC's done it three times now. So, you know, Andy Enfield continues to produce solid players. And I, I thought it was interesting, Reese Dixon Waters was named the sixth player of the year. He gets that honor after coming off the bench and you know averaging almost 10 points a game for USC, being an instant offense type of guy coming in. But at all five starters 
also won some were honored with some kind of accolade from the the Pac-12. So Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson were both first team members. Kobe Johnson and Joshua Morgan were both on the all defensive team, and then Trey White was on the all freshman team. So your top six guys in your rotation all were honored by the by the conference. So I think that kind of shows the program that Indian Field was built in a rebuild year. This was supposed to be the rebuild year for USC before bringing in Isaiah Collier, Silas Demery, Arrington Page. In the rebuild year, your top six guys all get honored by the conference. So we'll see what this group can do, but I think it just shows the depth of the team um, and the fact that it's a team and everyone kind of has a role. You know, you have your freshman, he does a little bit of everything with Trey White, rebounds, you know, plays really good defense. Then you have your two just defensive stalwarts and and Kobe Johnson and Joshua Morgan down low blocking shots. USC has the number seven field goal percentage defense in the country. They're number eight in the nation in blocks because of Joshua Morgan. And then Kobe Johnson is one of the most feared defenders in the conference. He and Jalen Clark and Andy Enfield has said for the last three or four weeks that he thinks that uh, that Kobe Johnson is the best defender in the in the conference. So you know that that shows you what those guys can do. And then Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson carry the load on the offensive end. And both of those guys have been spectacular in different ways this season as well. And that is why he is the world's best USC basketball beat writer, Shotgun Spratling. If you notice some tension when he was talking about the All Pac-12 teams, because I was supposed to post Shotgun's story <laughs> while he was in the sky, but I never got the notification. I didn't get the email shotgun. I already apologized, but this is something I'm going to have to work my way back and earn his forgiveness from. Welcome to the Pac-12, where you don't get every notification that you should. I didn't get the email. I didn't see anything on Twitter. I was busy writing a story, but I will take the blame. I should have uh, I should have been on that more. I let down my fellow Helium boy. And as Helium boys, we lift each other up, not bring each other down. So I failed the first rule of being a Helium boy. It's okay, Chris. I forgive you. He forgives me. There you heard it. There you heard it. Shotgun, I think that about wraps up basketball. Unless there's anything you want to add about the hoops part of this show. No, I think we're pretty good on the hoops right there. I think that's clarified everything as much as I could. It's going to be interesting to see uh, you know, what the bracket holds uh, on Sunday. That's a, Selection Sunday is always an interesting time, and uh, it will be no different this year for USC. I think my Terps are also going to the NCAA tournament. They need a win just like USC. I feel like they're kind of in similar spots. So I wonder if we'll end up in the same side of the bracket. I don't know. You never know, Chris. You never know. Could happen. Never know. I'm excited to see. I was just on your campus a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he texted me. He texted me that like after he left. I was like, gee, thanks. Well, because I keep searching for the Chris Trevino statue on the University of Maryland campus, and I can't find it. I don't. There's no plaque. There's no statue. It's What's going on It's in the engineering here? building across from the secret Taco Bell third urinal. You'll find it. <laughs> You'll find it. It's there. Shotgun, we put out a... Uh, a survey not a survey a we did put out a survey call <laughs> a call my words are all jambled today we put out a call for questions as we always do i don't think we got a ton of questions but i think we have some questions to tackle here at the end of our show we have a couple we don't have a ton but we do have a couple uh starting with uh humble trojan pinecone okay the trojan pinecone ha- gave us multiple here so you know, what's your over-under on team defensive ranking improvement for football in 2023? And they said you could pick your stat. So whether you think that's yardage, whether you think that's 
um, points per drive, as you know, RJ likes to use as the, his biggest metric for defense. If you think it's scoring, you know, what do you think is the the area where they need to improve, and how far up the rankings do they have to go? I think it for me it comes down to yards per play allowed. Okay, there was a lot of yards per play allowed. I don't have the. I'm trying to pull up the the official how they were, but they were really really bad by the end of the season nope that's yards per play i think it was like upwards of like eight yards per play it was like really down on the bottom so that really needs to take a jump forward even if you if if you improve that by like so what it was eight if you get it down to like five or like high fours i think you're looking a lot better so if there were in the i don't know hundreds range if you just get that up to the 60s you know just get into there, and I think you're a lot better. I mean, I know it's not as nuanced, but points per game is still a very sure. easy metric. Um, I think everyone can kind of see that one pretty easily. And, you know, they made a very nominal improvement because they had the worst defense ever in program history, in USC football history, giving up 31.8 points in 2021. They moved up to 29.2 which was, you know, they went from 103rd in the nation to 94th. Not good enough. But the crazy part is, is breaking it down, USC allowed 18.7 points per game the first six games of the season. Now, granted, there is the competition is a little bit different there, but they gave up 37.1 points the final eight games of the season. They almost doubled. I know competition is a little bit different, but it shouldn't be a, a 17, 18 point swing there. That's ridiculous. So, you know, the only the only defense they uh, the only offense they held under 25 points the second half of the season, the final eight games was Colorado, who was hapless, one of the worst offenses in the nation. And so they have to be able to be more consistent. I think that's a big thing. I know it's a specific stat, I think points per game if they can bring that down to the 25 area, you know, I think that's if they can be around 25 points a game, I think their offense will do the rest. Um, but you, you can't give up 30 points a game, you know, because that's going to, it just, if they can bring that down and they'll get into the 60s, they'll get into the 50s, they'll get into the 40s potentially in their ranking there, then I think that, that that's a huge improvement. And I think the offense can take care of enough, uh, else that they'll be, they'll be in the position they want to be in. I just want to say, looked it up, USC allowed 6.3 yards per play, which is one. 19th in the country over the course of its last three games they allowed 8.2 yards per play which was worse in the country over the uh, the final three games of the season no team was over eight yards allowed per play uh, in the final three games of the season and for the last game of the year they were at 9.6 yards per play allowed in that cotton bowl loss so yeah get that down to like four Point five or something, yeah, you're going to see a big improvement, I think. Yeah, if you cut something in half, definitely. <laughs> yeah. No, but the, it was it was terrible at the end of the season. They were not good. Um, it was it was not only that they were giving up uh, plays, significant plays, but it was, the, it was just explosive play time after time. It wasn't just like they were getting run on and they're giving up six yards a carry or eight yards a carry. It was every throw felt like it was twenty yards minimum. And there were several 60, 70 yard ones in there because one, they didn't tackle, but also there was just times when there was just nobody there. Just a bad defensive call uh, or whatever it may be that they just did not play play well. So they've got to definitely improve on that. So there's several metrics that they can improve on there, Trojan Pinecon, but those are the couple that we're looking at, I guess. 
Trojan Pinecone also want to know what kind of teams do we match up well against versus not in the NCAA basketball tournament. I guess I'll take this one for you, Chris. Yeah, yeah, please, please, please. Uh, I think that they they match up well with skilled teams that you know that have that are carried by their wings. I think USC's uh, perimeter defense is much better than their interior defense, uh, especially because Joshua Morgan can be prone to get in foul trouble. He's much better coming over to help out and block shots than being just that primary defender that's going to swat you know a guy's shot right back in his face. So I think that's why you've seen. Teams like Oregon, teams like Arizona that have true bigs, you know, I don't think that they would do really well against Purdue and Zach Eady. I think he would dominate down low against USC. I think that they do better against teams that are perimeter-led, which is usually the teams that succeed in the postseason in the NCAA tournament are teams that are guard-led. So I think USC's defense is built to kind of stop some of those teams. So I think that's the teams that they match up well a little bit against a little bit better than you know the the big boy teams of you know the plotting Big Ten style of teams right now. Plotting, plotting. Great use of that word. Uh, he also asked, "What performance do we need in Pac-12 tournament to improve seating?" Like I said, I think that you if you win the first game, you're kind of holding steady. If you win the second game against Arizona, that definitely improves your seating. I think you can move up a line as far as from a ten to a nine or whatever it may be in that regard. And then you want to know standout observations from baseball. Chris, you've already made an observation from baseball. Austin Overn, very good. <laughs> That's my observation. I don't know how many of the clips you've seen, but very fast. Yeah, he's he's got some wheels. Yeah, he's he's got legit speed. He's got MLB speed. Um, you know, he he gets down the line quickly, and then he when he puts the ball in the gap, he's thinking three immediately. So he leads the nation in triples. Uh, as last I checked on Tuesday, uh, or wait, is today Tuesday? Last Tuesday. I guess yesterday then, Monday, when I checked, he was leading the nation in triples coming off the weekend. So, you know, he is is has become a dynamic guy at the front uh, of the lineup. You know, they were batting him at the bottom of the lineup initially, but they moved him up in that leadoff spot, which is, you know, what he is, a traditional leadoff hitter. But, you know, they were worried, okay, we'll see what the freshman does. He's batting 370. He's not giving them any issues. Cole Gabrielson, who's a guy the last staff was really excited about, because of a financial, I mean, not excuse me, uh, a academic issue last year, was not able to play until the final couple of games. So he's really exploded on the scene. Five homers, 15 RBIs, leading the team in both those categories, batting 378. And then Nick Lopez, I was talking to an opposing coach that played against USC earlier in the season. He said that has coached in the Cape Cod League and stuff, which is the most prestigious summer league for you know college baseball players. I read the book. And said, Nick Lopez is a dude. Um, just he said everything. He he squares up everything, hits everything hard. He said Nick Lopez is a dude. Keep your eye on him the rest of the season. So that that tells me a lot about him as well. So the offense has really been carrying USC. You know, batting three oh six as a team. The problem has been on the other side. Pitching has really struggled. You know, they've got a couple guys in the bullpen that have been really good for them. They've got three or four guys that they have found you know success with that they can rely on. Garrett Clark leading the way, you know, pitching eight innings without giving up a run. Josh Bloom, Caden Conley, both those guys have been really good as well. But their starting pitching has struggled, and then they haven't found the guys to be that long relief as well to go with it. So they got to get Blake Soderston. I think he's kind of the key because he's a you know a six year guy transfer from CSUN. He's a guy that can give them multiple innings in multiple roles 
Um, so they got to figure out what is the best way to use him and can they get him on track to where he's not giving up. You know, he's got an eight ERA right now with a 361 opponent's batting average. Those are the things got to be cleaned up. Uh, if he can attack the zone a little bit more and get ahead of hitters, you know, he's a guy that, that can be that swing guy for him that can really change the direction of, of series for them. So that's going to be a big, big question. They've got Stanford coming in this weekend. Stanford has been to the College World Series the last two years. They are, you know, basically an out away from a national championship two years ago. So, uh, really? you know, this is a yeah, it's a really good program with really talented players. If you want to see a couple guys that are going to be MLB stars, come out and see Stanford. The right fielder, Braden Montgomery, has the strongest arm I've ever seen in right field. Literally, you know, it's it's. Well, strongest arm in college baseball, I'll put it that way. You know, it's, it's Vladimir Guerrero esque. You know, it is it is a cannon out there. He he also pitches for Stanford and is you know up to ninety nine miles an hour off the mound, uh, but he also just drops tanks, absolute tanks. I saw one about four hundred thirty feet in the Pac twelve tournament last uh, last spring. So you know, come out and is check, that what they check call it out. tanks. That one was a tank. You but that's call, what you, that's what you call it. You can call him a home run. You can call him a tank. You can call you can call I've him a lot heard, of I've things. never heard tank before. Yeah, that was a tank. Uh, but yeah, he, he's a dude to, to come out and watch. Uh, Drew Bowser, a kid from Harvard Westlake, is another guy that will be a you know a top ten round draft pick as well. And they got a couple other players as well. They lost a bunch of talent from last season, a couple first round picks, um, and have just reloaded. So Stanford is one of the uh, premier programs in the Pac twelve right now. And uh, you know uh, David Esker has really turned that program around from where it was at uh, at the end of Mar- Marquis's tenure, and has really got them in the right direction where they're a consistent College World Series contender every season. There you go. I did not know that Stanford was an out away from a national championship in baseball last year. Two years ago. Two years ago, so excuse me. I thought they would win it last year. I actually picked them as my national champion, and unfortunately, they did not. This is the first year of the the Stankiewicz era, right? It is. Is there like a general – how do you think USC should be – USC fans should be feeling about the first year? So the the issue with uh, Andy Stankiewicz, he was hired basically right at the 4th of July. That's late in the cycle, and especially the transfer cycle. You know, as the transfer side has become such a prominent portion of you know the best teams. LSU this year has a pitcher from Air Force who throws 100 miles an hour, who's their ace. They have a they have a kid whose nickname was Tommy Tanks last year for you, Chris, uh, who was a freshman, was all American as a freshman at in North Carolina State. He came in, he's their number four hole hitter. They also have the best player in college baseball in Dylan Cruz. So you add two dynamic pieces around. Plus they have other transfers. They got a kid from UCLA, Thatcher Hurd, who I watched pitch yesterday um, on, on uh, broadcast. He struck out the first six guys. Like he's the type of guy that would be leading a staff in the Pac-12, and he was their third or fourth guy this year for LSU because of how many transfers they got come in. So the transfer has really changed the baseball uh, window a little bit right now. And when you come in late in the cycle, now you're kind of picking at the scrap heap of trying to find guys that, that fit in your program, that can help turn around things, but are also just really talented. And you know, you're finding guys that have one year available versus guys that have multiple years available. So, you know, th- they struggle to you know, or not struggle, but they they did what they could with the limited time that they had coming in. It's going to be a multi-year build. This isn't a Lincoln Riley come in and hey, they got Caleb Williams, so suddenly they can be good immediately. Now, if USC got Thatcher Hurd or Paul Skeens or Tommy uh, Tommy Tanks from you know like LSU Tommy did, Tanks. then maybe they would. Yeah, you know, I would think that that they can make a, a more drastic turnaround immediately. 
But they got some pieces in the transfer portal. They kept a couple of guys that were important for them, Jaden Agassi being one of them, the son of you know, Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf, keeping uh, Tyler Stromsberg and you know getting Eric Hammond back. So they got their weekend rotation but now they, those guys got to develop and continue to get better, and you know it's going to take a little bit of time for USC to to get back on the same level talent wise, depth wise as the rest of the, of the you know the the high end teams in the Pac twelve. So I think I thought this year was going to be a little bit of struggle. So far, looking at the schedule, it has kind of played out the way I thought it would. I thought that they would win against Marist. I thought they would lose against USC Irvine. I thought they would lose the series against Auburn. But I thought they would at least win one. Would it be at home? But that series gets moved. Uh, the only game, there's only been one game where I've been surprised by, and that was UC Riverside losing to them because they are not a very good program. But otherwise, it's kind of on track right now. But can they continue to get better as the season progresses? That's going to be the big thing. And starting this weekend against Stanford is kind of a you know is a big measuring stick to see. All right, have you taken any strides in the first month? Because the first month, a lot of times in college baseball, is let me find out, especially if you're a first year head coach, is let me find out what guys I can trust. Who can I put in what roles this season? And if you're a first-year head coach, you don't you don't have a you know a background with any of these players. It's definitely like, all right, let's try this guy here, let's try this guy here, let's try this guy here. Is this guy a ninth inning guy? Is this guy a sixth inning guy? Where can I use him? All those type of things. So now you're a month into the season, basically. All right, now you got to feel like, all right, now I know where we're at. Or can we start making strides, progressing going forward? And I think you will find out, you know, how they play against Stanford. You know, will will tell you where they're at right now in the season. Uh, do they not call him Tommy the Tanks Engine? The what? Tommy the Tanks Engine. No. It, it, his <laughs> name, name is Tommy... Tommy... Uh, Tankowitz. Wilson, I want to say? No, I think Tommy the Tanks... Tommy Tanks, sorry. is It's just a, uh, a chef's kiss kind of name. It just rolls out the tongue so effectively. And I love it so much. That's why I just wanted to know. Is there... Tommy ex- White is his, is his actual name. Tommy Tanks. But he goes by, you know, Tommy Tanks. That's because he started. He led all, He led the NCAA in homers early in the season last year, yeah. and he broke multiple NCAA records as far as freshman home run records and stuff. So that's part of the reason. Tommy Tanks. I think we have a late one question from Scott Rodriguez, who is the the dad of former USC offensive lineman Jason Rodriguez, who decided to retire from football this offseason. So. He asks, is the Pac-12 aligning itself effectively after USC and UCLA depart, or are they destined to be assimilated into utter irrelevance? I would say I'm, the latter. Yeah, it seems more and more like the Pac-12 could break apart. And like that, soon. Yeah, and that's the big question. Like, uh, I think the, the Colorado's regents are having a meeting today to discuss uh, the Pac-12 TV deal, the potential of it. Um because if there's not any money in the TV deal, why would you stick around to make potentially $20 million a year less than if you went to another conference? Now, some team like Oregon and Washington weren't wanted by the Big Ten. Uh, at least, you know, when they things when USC and UCLA initially um, went to the Big Ten, they were not wanted last year when that happened. So, you know, where do they have a home? Does the Big Ten reach out again? Because they think they can get them for a cheaper bargain. You know, we'll give you less percentage, what type of thing. But the Pac-12 could realistically fall apart. Um, if the four corner schools leave, then that that is the end of it. Because you can you could potentially add San Diego State and and um, blanking Dallas uh, SMU, SMU Southern Methodist. You could potentially add those teams in to add those markets. 
and kind of replace the USC and UCLA to keep you kind of you're treading water at least. But if you lose the four corner schools too, you know, you lose Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, whether it be to the Big Ten or the Big 12, then you're done as a conference. So uh, it'll be interesting to see you know, what continues to come of the Pac-12. But, you know, I felt bad for George Kliakoff with what happened with USC and UCLA in the past, but this part portion is on him. He's got to figure out how to deal with this and keep those those program those schools and presidents happy enough to keep them in in the mix and uh, be able to find the TV deal that works for them. The Pac-12 is like uh, the Family Feud podcast. Once USC, UCLA, Shotgun, and Keeley left, it all just crumbled into uh, <laughs> a nominatedity. I said that wrong. It just crumbled into relevance. I should have just gone with that. So there, there's my example of what's happening. Chris, we had a couple of questions on the message board. Oh. You didn't know. Sneak attack. Eddie, your boy Eddie. Eddie from, from Orange. Orange. Want to know will will Solomon Tulalipupu have fifteen or twenty sacks next year? Uh, I would probably let's let's split the difference and say seventeen. <laughs> That's seventeen and a half. Let's go with that. Uh, what do you think is a realistic number? What's the realistic uh, so expectation? Two and a, two and a half uh, this past season, which you know, circumstances and context, all all with that goes around with him and the injuries that he's had. That's excellent. Yeah. You know, I would say double that. I would say five. I think. They'll need more of him from the rotation. I think he was effective at times, so I would go with uh, doubling that. Yeah, double and give it to the next person. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Five uh, is what you're you're shooting for there, um, and it depends depend on playing time. You know, you got two and a half last year with limited playing time. Now, wasn't a ton of pass r- rush snaps, but you made the most of them. So, you know, can he become a guy that whether it's hey, he's a specialist, but put him in there third down, he just gets there. You know, or you know, he's an every down guy, whatever it may be. A five seems like a realistic number. That's what I would go with. M. Connolly want to know how do you both feel about doubling in pickup basketball? Are you team Devin Booker, who is adamant that no one should ever double team in bat and pick up basketball, or are you team Joe Joe Kim Noah, who I guess uh, is, is a fan of doubling? You're trying to win the game. I mean. It is just pickup, but I will say there are some pickup games that feel more intense than NBA games at times. That's how serious <laughs> they get. So I'm on the side of like just everyone man up their their guy, baby. Just just handle your handle your shit <laughs> across the way and you'll be fine. But I'm not like super against doubling if like one guy's just like murdering you. I played with some guys that would murder in pickup games. <laughs> there you go. But the the question to me becomes: Is this like a pickup game where there's ten guys at the gym? You're gonna play another game. You're gonna play another game after that. You're gonna play for a couple hours until the gym gets shut down, right? Or are you at a competitive gym where if you lose, you're not playing again for an hour, an hour and a half? Because I've been in both situations, and it's a much different impact. You know, like I, I just played pickup for the first time in probably six years, a couple weeks ago, last week, and you know. It was 10 guys in the gym. We were going to be there till 11 p.m. You know, we're just playing. No big deal. I'm barely making it up and down the court because I'm not out of shape. I literally busted both of my shoes, Chris. There you go. My shoes have been in my trunk, um, you know, because I kept, I keep keep basketball shoes in my trunk. Of course. I have basketball shorts all, all, at all times, ready for a pickup game anytime. Always ready. I've been that way since uh, middle ready. school. Stay ready, be ready. Exactly. Um been that way since middle school. I've always, you know, I would go, I would skip lunch in high school to go shoot in the gym. 
But I had these shoes in my car because I always I've been ready, but that's the heat of Southern California. They've been out here, you know, I wore them all the time, pick up uh, you know, on asphalt, you know, parking lot games, whatever it is in the gym. And I wore them for the first time and it probably said 6 years. And they literally disintegrated. The both of the side seams popped. So the you know you could see and I had it pulled out a metal piece out of one of them, which is like a stabilizer or something in one of them. And then the back the back uh, rubber sole started just flapping. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. So I just took them off and I played the rest of the game in my Ugg slippers because that's what I used to do in college. You know, they have rubber rubber soles in the bottom. You you would be surprised at how good grip you can get with some some Ugg slippers. I did not know Ugg slippers. Ugg slippers should actually just go ahead and make a basketball shoe. For, I'm down for, for the likes of uh, Shotgun Spratling. So. I would buy those. I'm just be honest. But, but, the, but, the, but the idea of you just like busting out the sh- busting out of the shoes is just a, a hilarious visual. But, yeah, I was uh, I Zion Williamson those shoes. Yeah, I remember when that happened, and, and Nike was like, "The stock's tanking." Yeah, I'm stock's just tanking. such an explosive player. But like that type of situation, hey, you're not doubling anybody. But I've been in, in situations where it is heated. It is literally like we would go play when I was back in Georgia with, with somebody's. We would go play at one gym, and if you lost, you knew you're gonna wait for an hour and a half, two hours. So you just go to a different gym. Like literally, let's just pick up. We'll go somewhere else, type of thing. And that I have no problem with double teaming. I am not trying to get. I'm not trying to get off the court. I'm trying to win. I'm not here to satisfy your needs to to get better in a one on one situation and be a one on one master. I don't care about you. I'm here to win. I'm trying to play. There you go. So if the if, if the the run are limited, shotguns doubling. That's all. That's all I got from that. If need be, if need be. Hey, if if you, if you can't defend somebody, I'll come help you out. There you go. Thank you, <laughs> Helium and, Boy Trap. And then a uh, silent commit uh, said, "Is Mondo Hawkins Jr. on USC's radar?" He obviously just posted a goodbye message to Colorado yesterday. I haven't got the backstory on that one, but uh, you know anything on that, Chris? And also, kind of similar, who replaced Megan Mez? She announced that she was leaving USC last week. Uh, was Morgan Lawrence promoted to that position? She was already on the staff. I don't know if she's kind of getting a bump up into Megan Mez's spot or if they're going to hire someone outside. Chris, do you have any insights on the support staff recruiting aspects? I don't have any insight onto that. I, I don't know. It would seem weird just from the Armand Hawkins perspective. Like he was already on the staff and they let him go and they went to Colorado. And now they're bringing him back. Yeah. It seems like a weird, like why not just keep him in the first place, you know? So I don't know about that. I know it, it, it seems enticing just because they sort they have a position opening. I don't know what they're going to do with that uh, Megan Metz position. So we'll see moving forward. I'm sure that's going to be something they're going to try to close by the summertime when Official visits are picking up. I don't know if they're going to try to fill that so soon right now in the spring with, you know, just focus on Annie Hansen can handle it uh, right now with the with the spring visits they're having right now. So I think that'll take a little bit more time. But, yeah, I don't have anything on the radar as far as like Mondo coming back to USC. Yeah, like you said, it would be a little bit strange the fact that, you know, he was here when the new staff arrived and they decided uh, to basically go a different direction. And then now, but hey. Maybe they had already had Megan Mez in, in plans because she was from Oklahoma. They brought her over with them, and now there's an opening, and maybe they, oh, we would love to keep you, but we don't have the right spot for you. Maybe now there is. I'm not sure on that one. Um, do want to point out, speaking of support staff, a couple of former USC support staff members. Congratulations to Vianne Talmavayo and to Michael Hutchings. Vianne Talmavayo uh, is, is gone from Oregon, where he's support staff, 
helping out with recruiting to being the offensive line coach in Northern Arizona, and now he's the offensive line coach at Stanford. Uh, so congratulations to him getting that that big position coach upgrade, uh, that uptick in position. That's awesome for him. Uh, he's one of the up-and-coming coaches for sure. Obviously, he's got his father coaches offensive linemen as well, so he's got the background there. And then Michael Hutchings was on the Western Kentucky staff with Tyson Helton. I've been there for a couple years now, I believe. And now he's going to go to the NFL and be uh, an assistant linebackers coach, I believe, with the Minnesota Vikings, what the report ha- has been. i got to check in with him to – to confirm that, but uh, you know, sounds like that was the case. So, congratulations to both of those guys as well. Sweet shotgun. I think we have another late question from Arrogant Nation at Fight on Rusty. Whose stock are you loading up more, Jacoby Covington or Rajon Davis? Since I already patted myself on the back for Jacoby Covington, I feel like I have to go with Jacoby Covington just because uh, okay. you know, yeah, that simple as that. So, I asked about the most impressive newcomers kind of put it out there in the ether see what kind of responses i got and like i said at the very beginning of the show zachariah branch you know someone said not even close asked about some defensive guys and rajon davis was a name that came up uh as well as fabian ross so you know keep an eye on those two guys i said don't sleep on ross at the early season too so uh you know i would love to see rajon davis get an opportunity it's going to be really difficult he's going to have to you know he's going to have to push himself forward in front of you know four other guys basically so you know, I would love to see him get that opportunity. We saw in the limited reps that he had against Tulane that suddenly he was making some plays. So, would love to see him get an opportunity. Great kid. Always enjoy talking to him. You know, he's always the fact that he stuck around as a, you know, almost a five star guy, a high four star, French five star guy coming out of high school, not getting the opportunity the first couple of years. He stuck around. Those are the type of guys you like to see. All right, it all come together and click and for him to get the opportunity and make the most of it. Similar to Corey Foreman as well. There you go. One more. I got one last oh, okay. uh, late edition. 34 Jump Cut. Want to know, Dylan Rayola left the Ohio State University because? I mean, I don't think there's like a concrete reason. But, you know, we see this happen all the times in the NIL age when a kid really likes to score early, commits super early, like sophomore really early in their junior year. And then once their cycle starts, they start getting all the attention you start getting on the schools really starting to recruit you because they weren't really, really recruiting you when you were a sophomore because they weren't allowed to fully recruit you. But once your cycle starts, that's when it really starts. And that kind of opens the eyes of kids wanting to enjoy the process a little bit more. I know it's a little different from Raiola because he was a high-level prospect and he's been recruited heavily more so than other kids. I mean, Dylan Williams kind of mentioned something similar where, you know, it it just opens it up more when you're uncommitted and not uh, when you're not committed to another school. You see things differently as a as a as a free agent out there, if you will, in the, in the recruiting world. True. Maybe it's just because they put the the in front of theirs, like they're the only oh. university ever in the world. Uh, maybe that's why. <laughs> don't know for sure. Maybe it's because he went to a couple practices and saw how good Devin Brown is. We we don't know for sure. Um, so it, it's it's a question mark. Maybe it's because he was what two and a half years before he would ever step on campus is when he made his commitment, something like that. So you know things change as far as personally. Things change as far as what you think is the best fit for you. Um, so there's a lot of different things that could go into it. Or maybe just some other school came in and was like, 
oh, this this school looks much more enticing now. Maybe I should open things up and kind of take a take a step back and check it all out. So there can be a lot of different reasons there. That's why we don't make take too much into consideration with those super early commitments. Uh, quarterbacks are usually the exception, just because quarterbacks are going to commit before anyone else because they want to help build the class and you build around that one quarterback. But still, even then, when it's multiple years before they're ever going to be you know, allowed to sign anywhere, then I, I still am pretty, pretty hesitant to, to jump in and say that this is a huge deal or not. There you go. I think that wraps up all our questions, including the late ones that we had to that we fired off here uh, for the Helium Boys podcast. That is going to wrap oh, up. Oh, oh. Which team well, will be the most ready when SC joins the Big Ten in 2024, the football team or basketball team? Oh, that's an interesting one. Shotgun, you had mentioned that they don't really match up well with kind of the plotting of like Big Ten teams. So I will say football. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think football because I think, you know, points tra- translates um, regardless of what conference you're in. But there are definitely going to be some adjustment periods for both of those teams. And, that, you know, it's kind of hey, when Michael Vick came into the league with the Atlanta Falcons, suddenly the Carolina Panthers had to draft a different type of linebacker. So USC will suddenly start recruiting a different type of certain, certain position. You know, whether it be that defensive line, hey, you just got to have guys that are bigger. Like it, it, you, you can be quick as much as you want, but when you have eight teams throughout the season – in your conference that are all trying to lay it on you and put, you know, ground and pound the entire game, then you get worn down by the end of the season and suddenly that quickness just is is nothing at the end of the season. I think that could be a concern for USC. I think that is one of the big, big concerns uh, for me when they make that transition with the defense they currently have is in the Pac-12 you can get away with it because everyone's spread out and everyone's trying to run, you know, fun and guns type of offense and get, get stuff out to the perimeter Whereas there are more teams in the Big Ten that are going to want to try to ground and pound constantly, and that's going to take an effect as the season progresses. But we'll see. We'll see indeed. And that, for the for real this time, is the final question for the Helium Boys podcast. I know Shotgun is desperately trying to find a question that's it. right now. That's all that's I got. It. Okay. That's all he's got. That's all I've got. Thank you for joining us for another surprise kind of Helium Boys podcast. We never really schedule these things out they just sort of happen when shotgun is in town or shotgun hits me up it's like i'm I'm itching to do a podcast i'm like all right let's get it so thank you for joining us on another episode we're like the greatest pop-up ever yes we're the greatest pop-up ever (laughs) we leave you satisfied not underwhelmed by tiny cupcakes that have no value or stupid uh themed uh book bags i don't know what a (laughs) pop-up is really but this is a real podcast pop-up. Oh, uh oh, Chris. Oh no. I just got a DM. It was fun seeing Kalen Bullock have his picks this year, but truth be told, most of the year he was just out there covering grass, missing tackles, and watching the ball go over his head. In your guys' opinion, should we expect a better way better season and should we believe the hype surrounding him? I would disagree with that assessment, uh, there, Stevie, of what you saw from him last year of just seeing the ball going over his head, him missing tackles and covering grass. Because he didn't miss that many tackles. It was just well, it was very prominent when he missed those tackles in the Utah game. And that's what sticks with everyone. And also, when you are the center field safety, when you miss a tackle, and that's what, you know, they tell safeties all the time is, hey, other, other teams, I mean, other positions can miss a tackle. You can't. 
You miss a tackle. They miss a tackle on his five extra yards. You miss a tackle. It's a touchdown. So you know you notice his missed tackles that much more prevalently, and he's got to cut out the even the ones that he did have, but he did not have that many, especially compared to the rest of the defense. So I don't think that was the case there. He's not just covering grass. He comes up and hits people. Remember, he got thrown out for targeting in a game, um, which probably shouldn't have been. The ball going over his head. That's I don't I can't remember a single play this season where he was out of coverage. Uh, he, you know, he messed up the coverage and the ball went over his head. I don't know about you, Chris. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything where he was supposed to be the deep guy, um, or there's you know it was two high safeties and he didn't get over and cover his responsibility. There are times when it's a single high safety and if you throw to the to the sideline, the safety is not going to get over there. That's just the design flaw in that defense. Everyone knows it. That's why you attack there. Uh, just like the cover two, you try to attack between the, the cornerback and the safety. There are different areas where you try to attack in each defense, but cover one, that's the only time I can think of that you know, there would be anything that you can even think that uh, about the ball getting over his head. Yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head of it going over his head. And that is the real last question of this show. So should we expect a way better season? Should we believe the hype surrounding him, Chris? Uh, I would expect a better season. I've been on the Kalen Bullock hype since he arrived, so I have to say yes on that. So. I've been there before he even arrived. All right. I was a big All fan right. of uh, I'm not, I'm not John Muir. I'm not going to – okay. I'm not, I'm not going to argue about this. We're both <laughs> equally – you probably a little bit more on the Kalen Bullock hype train. So we're there. We think it'll be a better season. Junior year, you see, you can see that growth. You know, all American season. I, I like where I like where he's headed. So yeah, I think we're both on that same uh, on the same boat there. Officially done, Chris. Officially, Officially. done. And before he lies to me again, and someone <laughs> else DMs him. I got to say thank you for joining the Parasol Podcast, Helium Boys Takeover. I'm Chris Trevino. That's Shotgun Spratling. Shotgun and Ryan will be in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. Make sure you're following him at Shotgun Spratling to get all his coverage of basketball, USC basketball, when they're in Vegas and beyond that in the NCAA tournament. Fingers crossed for them. So I'm Chris. That's Shotgun. We are the Helium Boys. Thank you once again for joining us. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.